All right, let's open with the word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for today, a day that you've made. I just pray that we would rejoice and be glad in it, and that you would bless our time together, that it would be pleasing to you, that we would take joy in it, and we just give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So something's been on my mind quite, quite some time, and then Paul asked me to do an opening, and I actually was going to go a different direction for six days out of the week, and then I was in prayer re-reminded that, no, actually, you need to just touch on this. And I did my best talking to my wife to kind of pare it down to something kind of succinct for an opening, because so oftentimes that's difficult if you get into something, it's kind of just, I mean, the whole Christian life is, is interconnected. So you get to one, and then it links to something, and it's like, oh, wait, 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 gotta, gotta kind of pare it down. So I'm doing my best to kind of just pare it down to a succinct opening. And it's talking about, about fear. So fear, obviously, it's, it's very much a part of our life today. It just is. And kind of initially, you know, there's this huge fear of this, I'm just going to call it the virus, try to Stay away from the name, just the virus. I was scared of the virus. Well, didn't take, I'm, uh, this is kind of me talking personally, so you have to kind of bear with me if you disagree. It's just the way it is. But uh, very quickly, I wasn't scared of the virus. I looked at it and thought, oh, okay. It's not really that big a deal, the virus. And, but then I kept seeing like so much fear of this virus. And it's a real thing. I'm not saying it wasn't a real thing. It still is a real thing. But anyway, I wasn't afraid of that. And I started getting, frankly, kind of upset at people that were because it was affecting life. And it was, it was shutting things down. It was very affecting people's lives. And it's like, and that's irrational because it's not something to be feared. Why are you afraid? And it creates frustration, anger. And then time goes on, and we're realizing this stuff is going to start impacting us. You know, I, you read the news, you can just kind of see in the future, like, this is, this is not good. This is not good on a completely different level. It has nothing to do with human health. Well, it does, but it's unrelated to the virus. It's, it's going to start impacting me and my family because of stuff that people are doing because of it. And so that starts bringing on what? Fear. Fear. Ah! It, it, it's like, so... so I'm not afraid of the virus. A lot of people are afraid of the virus, but then I find myself very definitely in fear of what that was doing and would do to me physically, really when it comes down to it, freedoms, you know, even health stuff, what did thing. So, but then I'm like, that over there is irrational though because this virus really just isn't that big a deal. This over here is real. They are People are losing their jobs. People are, this is, this is real. So this fear over here is rational, which rational means it's okay, right? Irrational fear, not okay. Rational fear, and it's like, okay, gut check. Is it rational? Go to Proverbs chapter uh, 29. Verse 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Ah, okay, what is that snare? Snare is, I'll just, I could say it, but I'm going to flip to a section, a passage that kind of sums up quite a few verses, not exactly sum up, but Matthew, uh, Matthew 10, I'm going to read quite a few verses, 16 to 39. 
It says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpents, as innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts, flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over to, do not be anxious how you are to speak, what you are to say, for what you to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his children, child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. For when they persecute you, for when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is not... It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. They have called the master of the house Beelzebub. How much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the rooftops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot cannot kill the soul, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value. Uh, may, therefore, fear not, therefore. Wow, I'm not just a second here. Even the hairs of your head are not numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword." For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And there's a lot of other pastors who talks about Fear not, do not fear, but rather fear God. So, rationally, humanly, rationally, stuff that's going on right now, I, I believe, is a rational fear. I think there's a really good chance. I mean, it's not even a good chance. Stuff is happening. It's rational because it's, why I say it's rational, it's, it is affecting us. But, are we as believers supposed to be living in the flesh or the spirit? Spirit. So it's like, oh, okay. So spiritually speaking, is that fear rational or irrational? Spiritually speaking. Irrational. It's irrational. Why? Because the scripture clearly says fear not. And it even as so much as fear those who are going to kill your body. It's like, well, you just... We have kind of joke, you talk about something, what's worse? And then we have this kind of thing like atomic bomb. Like, you just take it to the next... It's like... Take it to the worst, they can kill you. 
Well, he clearly says in here, well, you're not to fear that either. So anything less than that, it's all covered. So quickly, my fear, which is humanistically rational, put in the proper lens from God's perspective, completely irrational as well. So I guess my encouragement, and I'm speaking to myself, this is a daily thing for me. This is not like it's, it's, it's real right now. It's real with a new family. It's just, it is. It is daily giving that up, choosing to not focus on the humanistic part of it, take a hold of the spiritual and lock into that and walk. And I guess what I'm also saying is I just kind of real quick summary too is it says in this, this passage, you get persecuted in one town, you flee to the next. I'm not talking about la 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 la. That's not what I'm that's what I'm not saying. Because we are as Christians, it says why is the servant? We make choices. An interesting example is in, in the Bible is Paul, when he was, I believe it was Damascus. I didn't look that up, but he's in Damascus. He literally gets let down outside the wall in a basket to flee persecution. Another time, he was like, oh, we were going to go to this town, and the Holy Spirit said no, so he pulled back. And then fast forward a little bit in his life, he's going to Jerusalem, and there's real prophets, not fakes, real prophets saying, you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get bound, and you're going to take, take you away. You're gonna, they're going to kill you. He's like, yeah, I know. I'm still going to Jerusalem. What that tells me is like, it's relationship with the Holy Spirit. You have to be connected to know what you are to do. It doesn't mean, like I said, we're not ignoring these things. We're not ignoring our physical body. We're not ignoring this. And he has given an example of when the Holy Spirit says, get out of Dodge, get out of Dodge. And that isn't living in fear. When he says go, and then it's like, well, we got to be ready to walk to Jerusalem, all those things. So I guess I just encourage you through that all, and I've talked to myself, whatever, is living in the joy of we are not here strictly for human life. We're here for spreading his gospel and, and frankly, enjoying the peace, enjoying the joy that we can have when we're locked into Jesus while we're living in this world that is, frankly, messed up right now. So, I guess to me, it's like encouraging get a time where we get to worship, get a time to, you want to call it this, escape a little bit, escape the world and just completely focus on God and take joy in that, have fun with it, fully enjoy that relationship and take that into the world because that is something I think that is 100% abnormal and is a huge testimony just walking in joy and, and not walking in fear, even though stuff is affecting us. And we're not ignoring it, but we're walking through it. So anyway, that's encouragement to you. Uh, yeah, it's a daily thing, though, and it's real. So I just pray for the worship team and uh, invite you to join with us as we sing praise and glory, give glory to God. Lord, just thank you so much for today, and we just give you praise that we get to uh, be in relationship with you and get that power that you offer, that, that life that you offer in the truth. We get to walk in the truth. So just to give you glory and just pray that our worship would be praising to you and uplifting to us.
In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Good morning. It's good to be here again this morning. Bear with me. I did have that cold that I was willing to share with people if anybody would like it still. Um, But it took my voice like it does a lot of times. And about Wednesday, I wasn't sure uh, if this was going to be possible to stand up here and talk. But I am very thankful that he has allowed me to get my voice back, at least to a certain extent. So bear with me. Um, It's not as strong as it has been, but it's coming. So we had a great time at the coast. We got to go to the spend some time at the at seaside at the beach. And um, this time of year when you go and you get any days with no rain, it's a good time. And we did have a very good time there. So we want to just want to thank the Lord for that. <clears throat> this morning we are going to go back to Galatians. Finally, we're going to get back to Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to try to get through the first 20 verses of Galatians chapter 4. So we're going to start with reading that you want to stand up while we read, you can't, you don't have to, but if you would like, stand while we read uh, Galatians 4, 1 through 20. It says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Then they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children for whom I labor in vain, or excuse me, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Father, thank you for your word. I just pray that you'd open our ears to hear what you have for us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. You can sit down. So as we get started in chapter 4, it's talking about we are heirs, we are children of God, but we were placed under the law to begin with. A child is under a guardian. A guardian is is a slave who protects. So when a child is, is a minor, he's underage, she's underage, they can be under a guardian, and that's someone, that is a slave who protects. Um, and they're also under stewards. 
A steward is someone who is like a trustee or they're responsible for someone else's needs. A steward would be responsible for the child's needs. Uh, uh, um, a guardian would be somebody that's just going to watch after them and take care of them physically. But a steward might be someone that is in charge of their responsibility before they're old enough to take responsibility for it. So when we were born, when, when the law was written, we were placed under the law as our guardian. As our guardian, and we were placed there, and we were supposed to, we didn't have to do it, but people did before us. And they had to follow all these different things and, and acknowledge these different seasons and these different uh, um, I don't know, holidays isn't the right word for it, but processes that you would go through, sacrifices, uh, visiting the priest, all of these things that we had to go through. And this was our guardian. This was the guardian that was set up for us before Christ came. The law was our guardian until Jesus was able to come and fulfill the law so so then we could become heirs of him. Even so, in verse 3, it says, Even so, when we were children, we were, were in bondage under the elements of the world. I'm gonna, I want to read, there's a few, di- we're going to go a few different places in Scripture this morning. Um, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. <clears throat> now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. John came to as a lead-in to what Christ was going to do, what Jesus was coming for. And John was preaching, but when Jesus came, he fulfilled, he began to fulfill the guardian or the law that we were placed under. He came here to fulfill that. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. See, Jesus came and he placed himself in the same position that we were in. He came and he placed himself what would have been at that time under the law, but he didn't come to live under the law. He came to fulfill the law and free us from the law and in a sense allow us to grow out of the need for the law. <clears throat> Jeff and Josie were sharing about adoption. There's, there's several families here that have, um, have went through the process of adoption in different ways, but, but in, the end result is the same. And it's really, it's really interesting. We, and I haven't ever really shared this here, but we have gone through that process four times with our children. And what a beautiful picture that God gave by adopting us into his family. And we're going to get... Pretty soon we're going to read in, in John where it talks about the people. He came to his own people and they didn't even know him. They didn't even accept him. And so what does he do? He, wasn't, he didn't give up. He didn't quit. He made it possible for everybody to be adopted into his family and to be heirs with Christ. 
And so when we went through the process that we did, because when, when we adopted our kids, and Jeff and Josie know, and Brian and Polly know the same thing, but when that paper is signed, they're now one of our children. Just like they were born into our family physically, now they are become one of us. When Jesus came, and when he gave us the opportunity to become a part of his family, we were part of his family. And we can be, and you still can be, and we are. And it's done. It's just like we were always his children. Because that's what he came to do. He came to provide a way for us to be a part of his family. So basically what the scripture is doing right here in Galatians is it's going through the fulfillments of the prophecies. All of these things are prophesied in the Old Testament. Sometimes the Old Testament can be a little bit uh, stale to read. But if you read it in context with what's happening, and if you look at what's really happening and what it's meaning and what it's predicting, it's really exciting to see that all of the things written in the Old Testament are simply prophecies of what Jesus is going to do. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It's amazing to me. I can't, I can't wrap my mind around and I can't comprehend what actually was accomplished when Jesus came. It's really hard for me to do that. I accept it. I believe it. But I can't honestly say that I understand it all. Because I don't think we will until we get to heaven. And at that point, I don't know if we're going to care because we're going to be with Jesus. Titus um, chapter 2 If I can find it. There it is. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. <clears throat> he has redeemed us. He has come to redeem us. He has come to save us. He has come to accept us and invite us into his family as his sons and daughters. And that's exciting to me. Now we're going to go read John, the one I was talking about earlier, John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that includes everybody. That includes 
all of us. It doesn't matter if you believe that or if you don't, it still includes you. He still came and he still made it possible for you and for I and for everyone on this earth to become sons of God. And when the time had come that we no longer needed to live under the law, there's still people today that do try to live under the law. It's kind of like beating your head against a wall because it's not ever going to work. The law was established as a guardian. It wasn't established as what Christ had come to do. He came and he changed it. He took away the law. He took away the need for the law and he replaced it with himself. He fulfilled all aspects of what the law could ever represent. Uh, Let's see, Romans chapter 8. Verses 12 through 17. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Sometimes I just started reading a book, and the one thing that this book is pointing out is which glory are we settling for? You know, Christ came, and Christ in all of his glory, you've heard that term a lot, but Christ came in his glory, and he set up his kingdom here. And we're living for his glory. And as I was studying this, if you go back in Galatians, it starts in verse 8, it starts to talk about, but then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? So if we were living under the law before, and in that sense we could have been, would have been in bondage, then Jesus comes and we know God and God knows us, then why do we want to go back to the way that we were living before, to the bondage that we living before. And this, this book that I started reading is talking about which, which glory are you serving? Which glory are you living for? Why would you want to go back? I've brought it up before, but the children of Israel wandering around in the desert <clears throat> and God's feeding them and he's taking care of them and he's providing for them. He's providing for their needs. He may not be giving them everything they want, but he's providing for their needs. They're still alive and they're still doing well. But yet they keep looking back at Egypt. Why would they do that? And this book that I'm reading brought out one really good point, and it said <clears throat> one word menu. Menu. So God is feeding them manna, He's providing water for them to eat, which is to bring glory and honor to His name and His name alone. And the only thing they could see and they could look at was the things. This is just one part of it, the things that they had to eat, the variety of things they had to eat in Egypt. 
Are we willing to settle? Are we too quick to settle for the glory that we can see, in this case, the glory of what they had been eating, rather than the glory of God Almighty? It's really easy to get caught up in life and we live and we, come, we go through our daily lives and we do the things that we do. Whose glory are we striving for? Whose kingdom, which kingdom are we trying to make better? Which kingdom are we living for? Are we living for our kingdom? Are we living for the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom that God has come to set up. And it's really easy to get distracted by that. By the things that this world brings. Without knowing, when we don't know God, before we maybe knew God, we are looking for something to serve. Uh, In Galatians, it talks about when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. You know why that is? Is because we were created with a need to worship. We were created with a desire to worship something, somebody, and we will find something or somebody to worship. We will. And if it's not God, we will find something else. You, all you have to do is look around in our world today to find what it is that people are worshiping now. It isn't always God. And before we knew God, this might be a little bit more understandable because that desire was put into, into us by our creator. It wasn't put into us by the things he created. It was put into us by he who created Colossians chapter 2. Verses 20 to 23. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with using, according to to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Why do we keep going back to the things that our flesh wants to do? We continually go back to that. Why, after we know God and have been known by God, would we want to go back to what it says, the weak and beggarly elements? And it keeps going and it says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Here's Paul saying, you go back to observing uh, all of these sacrifices and and things that you were required to do under the law and you've gone back to doing some of these and I'm starting, Paul is talking here, starting to get concerned that the whole reason that I came was to point you to Christ and you are missing the reason that I came. And I'm concerned that I came for nothing because Paul is not there right now and he's not able to go there right now but he is becoming concerned that the whole reason that he went in showing them the way to Christ ended up being for nothing. Verse 12 of chapter 4 says, Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. 
I want to read, um, Roman, go back to Romans chapter 8 again, but earlier in that chapter, the first eight verses. I guess I should go to chapter 8 instead of 1. <clears throat> there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Which ties in with what Isaac was saying this morning. We are living under the spirit. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled to us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. How do we, how do we keep from finding ourselves wanting to go back to these weak and beggarly elements? How do we find ourselves not wanting to go back to trying to fulfill what the law asks us to fulfill? And I think the answer to that is we learn and we continue to learn how to walk in the Spirit. Because when Jesus came, he sent, when Jesus went back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit here to guide us. And if we want to learn how to live in the Spirit, we need to learn how to hear and how to listen for what the Holy Spirit might be telling us to do. Whatever that might look like, whatever it might be, it might not be comfortable, it might be something that is fearful, humanly speaking, I don't know. He's going to ask you to do something different than he might ask me to do. But one thing that we need to do, and I am trying to be aware of, is to be encouraging to people that say, I think, I really feel like the Lord is asking me to do this, whatever it might be. And my, if, if the Lord is asking you to do that, I want to encourage you and I want to stand behind you in what he has asked you to do. And I would hope that you would do the same for me. Can we encourage one another as we, as we are trying to listen, we're trying to walk in the spirit, we're trying not to walk in the fear of the flesh, but we're trying to walk in the spirit. Can we encourage one another in that process? Back to Galatians 4 and verse 13, you know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first and my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. <clears throat> it was interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to read just a little bit more here. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Now, I was reading through that, and I was talking to Liz before church this morning. And I was reading, what is he talking about? Why is he saying that about plucking out your eyes. Some of the commentary that I was reading, <clears throat> sorry, I've got a cough drop. There, it's gone. Some of the commentary that I was reading, you know, it talks about, Paul talks several times in scripture about the infirmity, the, the thorn in the flesh that he was given, and he asked God several times to remove that from him, and God never did. And that's where the verse comes in that says, my grace is sufficient for you. 
And I don't know what it is in your life or in my life, but Paul is talking and, and he's, he's referring back to when he was there with the people in Galatia. And he said, you didn't throw me out. You didn't cast me out because of my physical, physical infirmity. I don't know what it was for sure. Nobody really knows what it was. But one of the thoughts was maybe it had something to do with his eyes. That was noticeable. That was visible. So if he, the, and the first thing, of course, with what happened to me is if I was standing up here trying to share three days after I had gotten burned three weeks ago, if I was three days after being burned standing up here trying to share, that'd be very distracting. I'm sorry, because if I would be sitting out there looking at me, I would have been distracted. <clears throat> but it would have been very distracting. And maybe it would even be hard for you to hear what was being said. And I think this is what Paul is saying. Whatever this physical ailment that he had apparently was somewhat noticeable. Because he's saying, I appreciate you for not throwing me out, for hearing what I had to say, and for being blessed by it. And so one of the things that was said was, maybe it was something to do with his eyes, thus the reason for the scripture that says, you would be willing to pluck out your own eyes and give them to me if that had been possible. I don't know. It was just an interesting thought. What was it? It doesn't matter. The fact is that Paul kept going. Paul didn't stop because God said, I'm not going to take this infirmity from you. I want you to continue because I want you to do it and I want you to point people to me and I want you to give me all the glory for everything that is happening in your life. Where are you and where am I? And I have to look at that too in my own life because it's really easy to feel sometimes like we are doing something and then we can receive some of the glory for it. I don't want any of the glory. I want God to receive all of the glory for everything that I do in my life and everything that he does through me in my life. It's not about me. It's not about me receiving any glory. It's not about you receiving any glory. It's about God receiving the glory. First Corinthians chapter two. Verses one through five. <clears throat> and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so here's Paul saying, I'm not coming with fancy words. I'm not coming with well-educated teaching. I am just coming with one thing, and that's Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's all I'm coming to share with you. And then he goes on in Galatians to say, I'm afraid that these things that I've come to share with you have been for naught because of some of the things that I'm hearing. John 13, 20 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who receives whomever I sends, whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives he who sent me. Paul was sent by God to share the gospel. If we keep going in Galatians, a couple more verses. 
<clears throat> Verse 16 is interesting. It says, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now, Paul was firm on what he believed. He was solid. He wanted to share the gospel with everybody. He didn't waver on what he believed. But sometimes it can be easy, depending on who we're talking to or where we're at or what the situation might be, to alter just a little bit to try to please the people that we're with. But this was not where Paul was. Paul did not do this. And he says, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And if you get offended because you hear the truth, I'm not going to apologize for that because I'm going to speak the truth and I'm going to encourage anybody that shares here to speak the truth because I think it's so overly important that we speak the truth. Even if it offends people because in today's world, people get offended about everything. So I'll guarantee you they're going to get offended by the truth but we're still going to speak the truth. Verse 17 says they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. So I don't know if this is the uh, Pharisees, who it is, the, the leaders, the priests of that day. They're trying, to, they're trying to get them excited about serving, but they're not trying to get, the, they're, they're, they're getting them excited about serving the wrong thing. And so Paul says, be very, very careful. It's good to be zealous. It's good to be passionate about something, but make sure you're passionate and you're zealous about the right thing because it's really easy to do. And it's, it's good to have passion about other things too, but let's make sure that our first and foremost passion is for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans 10 One through four. <clears throat> Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Where is your, what is your passion? Paul is asking this, hey, it's good. He says in verse 18 of, of Galatians 4, but it is good to be zealous in a, in a good thing always and not only when I am present with you. It's good to be passionate about things, but let's make sure that we're passionate about the right things and not about the wrong things. And finally, what Paul does is he kind of it's interesting how he comes across right here because in verse 19 it says, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. He addresses them as my little children. I look at this, I'm like, why would he do that? Because that sounds belittling. But the fact of the matter is, is that Paul could not go there at this time. He is writing this letter, and the things that he's been hearing, he's not been real thrilled with, afraid that maybe all of his preaching and all of his sharing has been in vain, and they've kind of fallen away, and they've, and they've gone after these weak and beggarly elements of the past. And he says, my little children. He addresses them 
a little bit, um, that seems like that wouldn't be the, the best way that I would like to be addressed, maybe. Especially if I'm not a child anymore. I don't think I am a child. But Paul is just saying, hey, I can't be with you in person right now, but I want to make sure that I get my point across. I want to make sure that you understand that I really care what you're still doing and who you're still serving and where your passions are and what you're zealous for, my little children. But we can use that as a positive thing too because I am a child of God. We are children of God and so to be addressed as my little children, that can be a good thing as well. I don't know if that's necessarily what he was after right here. I think he was trying to make it a point because as he goes on, it said, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone for I have my doubts about you. If I were there with you, I could speak directly to you and we could understand what's going on, but I can't be there and I want you to hear my concern and my heart for you. I think that's what Paul was trying to portray with that last statement. But what, what so in, in wrapping this up, what are the things that you're passionate for? It's good to have passions. It's good to be excited about things. It's good to be zealous about things. But let's make sure that the first and foremost thing is Jesus. That's where our passion is. We get to enjoy life. We get to live here. We get to enjoy a lot of things. Sometimes it seems like maybe we have less things that we get to enjoy now than we used to. But there's still a lot of things that we have freedom to do however we want. And it's okay to enjoy those. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't. But let's really check, where is your passion? Is your passion really for the Lord? Is your passion for people, for sharing the love of God with people, is that what your passion is? Because it should be. That's where I want my passion to be. It was interesting, some of the people that we met while we were gone. Uh, just random places that we go. And we always, I always ask the Lord, I say, hey, help me not to miss opportunities. And I just really felt like while we were gone, there were several opportunities that we were presented with that we got to visit with people and it was very, very encouraging for us and hopefully for them as well. And so I'm going to throw that challenge out again because I think that's, a, that's very, very important. As we go about our lives, and like Isaac said, not to be afraid of the things of this world, but yet we're still living in the world and it still affects us. But I ask the Lord to give us the opportunities to share his love with people. If that's our passion, if that's what we're excited about, if that's what we want to do and that's what we're here to do, then that should come without really thinking. And Sometimes it takes us out of our comfort zone. Sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. <clears throat> it doesn't mean that we stop. It means that we maybe we're doing something right. Stand up again, if you would. We're going to pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that the different things that we've been studying and learning, I just pray that you'd help us to be able to use it, to apply it to our lives. Lord, um, <clears throat> a lot of times we wonder how it's supposed to work. I just pray, Lord, that you would give us a special passion for you. Lord, a passion for people that don't know you, a passion to share your love, to share the hope that we have in you with everybody that we meet. Guide our week. I pray that you would keep us safe. Bless the places that we go, the people that we see. And we just thank you so much for your love. In your name we pray. Amen.